This episode of The Dairy Show is sponsored by TriCal Superior Forage. Don't waste your time, money, and resources on inferior forage. TriCal Superior Forage Triticale is your new, widely versatile, highly palatable, and extremely tolerant winter forage for any region and any circumstance. Go to TriCalForage.com, that's T-R-I-C-A-L-F-O-R-A-G-E.com, to learn why Triticale is right for you. From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting-edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome back to The Dairy Show, everyone. I am your host, Katie Schmidt. And on this week's episode, we are joined by Tom Kilser, who is the owner of Advanced Ag Systems. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. Good morning or afternoon. It's really afternoon. (laughs) Yes. And depending on when people listen, you know, we're going to hit all times of the day. Tom, we're going to start a little bit. I know you're chomping at the bit to get going into the, the meat and potatoes of this episode. But can you take a moment just to kind of introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners, um, share some about your background in agriculture? Well, I started out actually as a fisheries biologist, but uh, got tired of that. I got my degree from Iowa State and for 33 years. I was a multi-county agronomist for Cornell Cooperative Extension. Uh, I left Extension, retired in 2009. I was doing research at the time. I actually ran one of their research stations for about uh, eight or nine years. Uh, Then they closed that facility and I'm still doing research, contractual research with universities in both Tennessee and in New York. I'm from a dairy farm. My dad had a dairy farm. Uh, My brother had a dairy farm up until September of this last year. Uh, He just uh, shut down and uh, sold the cows. So I've been in, my family has been in the dairy business most of my life. And I have worked with farmers most of my life. Sure. Is that where the the love of research and agriculture comes from then? Is that background on the dairy farm? That background and then just the people that I worked with for 33 years in extension, we didn't look at them as just farmers or customers, but actually as friends of ours that we're working with to do a better job. And so that's where most of my, my focus has been. I've kind of shifted into this scientific research space recently. And I'm learning that it's really hard for people to actually retire in this space. So it feels kind of like dairy farming. But Tom, for you, you know, you retired from Extension, but now you're working for Advanced Ag Systems or owning it. What kind of research are you doing now for or under that umbrella? Well, we just completed over about a 10-year, 15-year period, a lot of in-depth work on winter forages, winter triticale. We are moving now. As a matter of fact, uh, just before we came on, I just sent out a newsletter and an article for a magazine on male sterile BMR sorghum as a replacement for corn silage. We've had some major breakthroughs on the energy, uh, enhancing the nutrition, and it has a lot of advantages over corn silage. So We're looking at this as a companion crop. So just in case I didn't have anything to do. Right. So can you quickly define winter forage? What do you mean when you use that term? 
Well, winter forage uh, originally was looked on as a cover crop and bare soil. When you leave the soil bare over the winter, it destroys the health. It collapses the soil structure. It washes away the topsoil. Uh, you lose expensive nutrients. And cover crops have been proven to have that benefit. But the problem is cover crops cost money to put in and money to take out. But winter forage is not a cover crop. It's a higher level of management. And that's why we generated that term. So farmers would not think of it as a glorious cover crop and just do it as an afterthought, but actually focus on growing that crop with a higher level of management. And the result is, is it, winter forage is cover crops on steroids. Uh, you get all the benefits to the maximum level, uh, but you're still getting a very, very high quality feed off of it that more than pays for growing and harvesting uh, that winter forage. So it's a real moneymaker and farmers have jumped on this in a huge way. Uh, there's been a logarithmic increase in acreage in the last 10 years. Uh, more and more farmers are growing it. A number of farmers have a regular rotation, corn in the summer, triticale in the winter. And they are supporting, I know one farm that was telling me, uh, they've been doing that for a while and they're supporting a 90 to 100 pound herd average. So we're not talking junky feed, we're talking primo, primo forage uh, being produced off of this. Uh, one of the problems we've had is we've got the tonnage yield up so high that it's getting to be a challenge to get it harvested. So much out there. Uh, I had one farmer say, he called me up and was complaining that uh, his bunk was filling up with winter forage. And he said, what am I gonna do with this? He said, where am I gonna put my alfalfa? They said, well, the winter forage is going to milk better than alfalfa, so sell the alfalfa. And that's what he did. And he's been doing that for several years now. He sells his alfalfa and he keeps his winter forage. So it really works well. Uh, we found with proper nitrogen and sulfur, we're running 18, 20% crude protein, which is a huge savings on the grain bill. The other part that's really exciting is the digestibility is higher than a brown midrib crop, either corn or sorghum. We have very high digestibility. And Dr. Rick Grant at Minor Institute pointed this out to me. Uh, that's why when we put it in the diet, that high digestibility, it eliminates the summer slump. Summer slump occurs when it gets hot, uh, the cows start going off feed, some production goes down. Farmers have found if they put uh, winter triticale into that diet as a silage, there is no summer slump. They keep milking right through the summer. So it's worked out very, very well from that standpoint. Yeah. So if we think about a like production and management of it, how does that function into our, I'm going to call it a typical corn season or corn silage season? Well, that was a change that is probably the hardest change farmers have to make. As one farmer said, he said, I used to be a corn grower that grew winter forage. He says, now I'm a winter forage grower that grows corn silage. And the reason being is he shortened up his corn season. You don't lose much silage. Uh, Dr. Cox, I remember at Cornell, figured three quarters of a ton of silage for every five days. 
So if we go from 105 to a 90 uh, to an 85 day corn, uh, you're losing three tons of silage, uh, three tons of silage, which is one ton of dry matter. But we're replacing that with three tons of dry matter or 10 tons of silage of winter triticale that actually has more milk producing ability than the corn silage we took out. That's why that farmer said that. The, the winter forage has higher milk producing ability. But that brings us to a key point. One of the things we found when we were first growing this is we did everything that you should do for a high yield winter grain, and it didn't work. When we violated all the rules and did the exact opposite of what you do for high yield winter grain, we plant it earlier, we plant it with 60 pounds of nitrogen in the fall, we tried to get as many tillers as possible, then we started getting three, four, five tons of dry matter, and with the right fertilizer in the spring, uh, 18 to 20% crude protein. So you need to plant it earlier and you need to have enough nitrogen with it in the fall to really push the tillering because that sets the yield potential for the spring. Is there a, a climate that manages this type of winter forage better than others or is there a, a optimal place to grow winter forage? <laughs> Actually, uh, the whole uh, north, uh, east and north central part of the United States, it does very well. But the other side of the coin is we have farms all the way down to Georgia and Florida that are using this and all the way up into Canada. And right now we are just setting up some research here in Tennessee. We call it the Tennessee triple track, where we're going to plant corn the 1st of April. We can do that. Harvest it 85 day corn the 1st of July plant male sterile winter sorghum, uh, male sterile sorghum, and harvest that the beginning of October, plant triticale, and harvest that the beginning of uh, April. So we're looking at three crops in one year. So it has worked all the way north and all the way south if they use the management of planting it right, planting it on time, and planting it with some fertilizer, not just broadcasting it and disking it in but planting it correctly. How is the soil health impacted when you're doing a, a three crop rotation all year long, or even just the two? Well, we'll stay with the two because the three were just getting into that research. <laughs> uh, that's, that was a peak at the next year. For the two crop system, Rodale, the organic farming people found when they looked at the soil structure over the winter, where we chopped corn silage off and nothing was there. The soil structure collapsed intensively. The soil health deteriorated tremendously. But if they kept something growing there, the root exudates, the leakage out of the roots feeds the soil microbiology and that increases the soil structure and the soil health. The other thing we found with it is we planted on time We've taken up up to 150 pounds of nitrogen into the crop before winter. At a dollar a pound, that's worth a lot of money. So this transition is happening from like cover crop concept or terminology into winter forage. But what is the, the difference that you see then in cover crops versus winter forage when it comes to 
a productive product that a, a dairy producer can use? Well, that one is uh, is really easy, is that in the springtime, you have to come in and kill out your cover crop. Your winter forage, you come in with your mower and you harvest that cover crop. So right away, right out of the box, the farmer is getting 35% higher yield from that acre than he did if he had a cover crop. But we have all the benefits of cover crop. The stubble is there. It's not gonna wash away. There is no cover for all the slugs to hide under and come out and eat the corn. But there is stubble to protect the soil from raindrop impact. There's a massive, massive root system under it uh, that holds the soil and keeps the soil structure open and porous for air and water to move in. So we get the benefits of cover crop, but we don't have the problems of cover crop. And in fact, we have taken this a little bit further. We found that if we just use a simple, either a triple coulter or a clearing coulter set a half inch deep, we can push aside the soil because there's allelopathic compounds from the cover crop uh, that is in the soil. Uh, rye has it, triticale has it, winter wheat has it, winter barley has it. And that can hurt the corn to a little degree. But if we skim that away, it's fine. We can plant the corn no tillage needed at all, all the stubble saves, stays there. But the real exciting part is, is we had this harebrained idea, what if we came in and we no-tilled our alfalfa into it? And it was a huge, huge success. My only disappointment was, is I didn't write a great big dollar grant to do this. We just said, let's see if this will work. And we went out and planted it. A friend of mine looked at it at the end of the season and he says, this doesn't look like a seeding. It looks like a two-year-old stand because the alfalfa grew so well. The first nice day, in the, we try to plant seedings early in the spring. The first nice day, we're a week behind. The second nice day, we're two weeks behind. We don't do any seedings early in the spring. We inject manure, we plant corn, and let, we get our haylage done. We've already mowed all the winter forage off, so there's stubble there. We come back to that stubble, spray it with a low rate of glyphosate, like two thirds of a quart, with a high gallonage of water, give it an hour to dry and come in and no-till our seedings into that stubble. Because the soil is warmer, the seedings jump out of the ground. Because the soil is warmer, diseases like damping off don't kill the little seedlings. Because the stubble is there, the wind can't get right down to the surface of the ground and dry it out. So those little seedlings have water right up to the surface. And when it rains, it runs in, it doesn't run off. And so we end up getting better seedings, putting them in the beginning of June into winter triticale stubble than we do when we plant it in April. I uh, had one farmer plant, uh, take a field that they did a whole bunch of work. They put in tile lime, they put in lime, fertilizer, worked it all up like they were supposed to in early April, picked all the stones, and they had a nice alfalfa stand coming. Across the road, they had 50 acres of triticale. They mowed it off uh, middle of May, came back the beginning of June, and no-tilled their seeding into it. The third week in June, They've got three inches of partly cloudy in about 15 minutes. 
The tilled field was a mess. He said there was gullies, washed out areas, stones all over. Uh, the seedings were literally washed out of the soil. And he said across the road was 50 acres of the nicest alfalfa you ever saw with no erosion whatsoever. So one of the benefits of growing winter triticale and harvesting it out of forage is we can do better alfalfa seedings. So is the, the recommendation becoming that you actually plant alfalfa into triticale and not corn, or will it always kind of be this balance between the two? We're planting it uh, the alfalfa into triticale stubble. That's where we're planting it. And the triticale goes in after the corn. So if you're going to rotate your field, you grow a shorter season corn to make sure the triticale gets in on time for that field. You get your triticale in on time. You harvest your triticale in May, just before you do the rest of your haylage. And then when your haylage is done, you come back and you plant your alfalfa into the triticale stubble. You balanced your workload and you get a better seeding. So when you're talking with farmers about basically changing the entire way that they crop, what is the, the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome with them? And what is the... the I don't want to call it a sales pitch, but like, what is the the stated benefits of taking the risk and taking this change or making this change? Well, I think one of my farmer friends said it very succinctly. He says, we think you're crazy, but we got to keep listening to you. Keep coming up with good ideas. That's great. <laughs> As a farmer, <laughs> that, that would be a farmer answer. Hesitancy because they haven't seen it themselves, but once they do it and they see the benefit, they jump on it. Uh, there's a book called The Fusion of Innovation by Rogers. It was written back in the 20s and 30s. And he said in there that the more a person is considered an expert, the less likely farmers will follow what they say. So my goal is to simply to get one farmer to do it, and then I let the rest of the farmers watch what they do. And that's where most of our work is done with farms, on farms, for that reason. These are ideas that are outside the box, but farmers who have taken with them are really running with it and finding real good success. So you mentioned towards the beginning that there was this newfound value in the winter forage and in triticale and in milk production increase. How are people feeding triticale and what are those benefits maybe beyond increase in milk production? Well, uh, a neighbor of mine up in New York before I moved, uh, he moved into it because he kept running out of haylage. And the, he said the triticale would come in every year just in time to save his butt, so to speak. Because <laughs> uh, I can see out my window and see his bunk silo. So I knew when he was running out of haylage. And uh, he grows tremendous acreage of haylage, uh, tremendous heavy crops. And he says they get it off, get it in, and it fits right in to fill it in until they can get their haylage harvested and in. Uh, and then the other side of the coin is, is the farmer that said, we put it in the storage and we hold it till it gets hot. And then we put it into the diet because that summer slump will disappear because of the high NDF digestibility of the forage. Do you find that people are are quick on the uptake of mixing it into a ration or how are nutritionists handling it? Maybe that's the better question to ask. 
Well, the first thing you have to get them to do is to take a good forage sample, not just a standard one. You need to look at the digestibilities. You need to look at the makeup of it. Uh, but nutritionists jump on this because it makes their job easy. It's an easy forage to put in. It works very nicely and it helps to fill out the ration. It brings in sugars, which helps the rumen, but they're sugars in a form the cow can use, not cause acidosis. Uh, the cows love the stuff. They dive right into it. Uh, one farmer told me, he said he started worrying at first when he first started feeding it, because when the mixer wagon pulled around the corner of the barn, all the cows would jump up and come running over to the feeder. Because he said they really dove into that triticale. They loved it. It fits in the ration very nice. The cows like it very much because it can have a lot of sugar if it is harvested correctly. This is maybe a dangerous question to ask you, but what is the the shortcoming of feeding a triticale like this? The shortcomings would be if they don't do a good job getting it harvested, getting it fermented, or most importantly, they go cheap and don't use an inoculant. Then you can have Clostridia and Butyric up the wazoo. That's an agricultural term, agronomic term. <laughs> but I had a farmer call me up and he was growing winter forage. And he says, I put it in the diet and the cow's back right off. It was real wet. It was full of Butyric and Clostridia. And when they worked up the ground, they were getting dirt mixed in with it, which made it even worse. So, uh, yeah, you can screw it up. It's, it's not hard to screw up. But if you do it right, you take the right steps and you need to use a good homolactic inoculant, not a bucneride, because this tends to run a little wetter. But we have found, we did research with inoculants, and we have found even with the wetter material, if we use a homolactic bacteria, we get complete fermentation and no butyric or clostridia, because the sugars allow that to drop the pH very quickly below four, and if the pH is below four, Clostridia can't grow on it. What is the optimal moisture for harvesting the triticale? I like to see it above 30, around 35. A big factor that we have in this is you are mowing enough yield to equal all five cuttings of alfalfa, but you're doing it in one pass. Alfalfa will yield four ton to the acre, three ton to the acre. We do that in one pass. So it goes out the back of the machine. And as a farmer said, it lands with a splat. And so what we usually do is, A, you got to have that mower so it lays the swath at greater than 80% the cutter bar width. We don't need tedding. Tedding is not, not helpful. We use wide swath, same day haylage practices. Uh, you lay it out greater than 80% of cutter bar width, wait two hours. As soon as you see the top is gray cast, come in with your tether and ted it. But you have to watch your tether speed. Uh, we've had problems with the loose nut at the steering wheel driving too fast, and the tether grabs a huge lump and heeds it out the back, which isn't going to drive. So you need to have the speed up and running slower so it pulls it apart and spreads it out. And there are better tethers out there. There is a couple improved tether lines that are doing a much better job than the older tethers. But you need to get those bottom layers up so they're in the sun, so it can be photosynthetically drying. That's the key in wide swath same day haylage. 
is to let the sunshine get photosynthesis going and it pulls the water out of the plant faster than anything else can. Wow. And then you still go in and you're chopping it that night. Uh, we had a farmer where we did a trial. He mowed it at 9.30 in the morning when I got there. Uh, at 3 o'clock, he had tetted it after two hours. He laid it out greater than 80% of cutter bar width. At 3 o'clock, he was chopping and putting it in the silo, and he, he was at 35% dry matter. But you need a sunny day. If it's a cloudy, overcast day, it's not going to work. But if you have a sunny day, it will work. Is there a preferred storage method, bunkers, piles, bags, silos? If you can get it more than 35% dry matter, then you can put it in anything. Uh, most people are putting it into bunks or bags. The key thing with bags is to make sure the bagger unit is not worn because those fingers get worn. And then it's, it's like a fork going through mashed potatoes. It smushes it instead of packs it. And that make, breaks up the cells and releases more leachate out. Uh, but if you have a properly set up bagger, it'll push it in and pack it nice. Or we put it into bunks and pack it in there. Again, you need an inoculant no matter how you do it. Uh, but we'll put it in bunks and pack it. What's the, the future look like uh, on this winter forage front? What comes next? Probably the big pieces we're working on now is A, genetics. There are some really good genetics coming along. B, snow mold is an issue on flat fields up north where you are. You have flat fields where you are. You have a pile of snow on it. You get a March thaw and you get water standing on it. That part of the field will be killed by snow mold. It's not killed out because you planted it early, it got too big, and it had too much nitrogen. That's old farmer's tales. Uh, it's simply snow mold. What we have found is if you come in and you put a nitrogen, uh, I mean, you put a sulfur solution on that, spray it in November with a sulfur solution and a wetting agent, it will not get snow mold. Now, we can't recommend that as a control for sulfur for snowball because it's not registered. Uh, if I was up in New York, I would be thrown in jail and I would have a real high fine. But we can recommend sulfur fertilizer. So you're spraying sulfur fertilizer with a wetting agent onto the areas that are flat and going to get snow mold. And you will not get snow mold that next year on it because the sulfur keeps the snow mold from forming. Did I dance around that nice? <laughs> you did. You did such a good job of answering but not answering. Yes. Mm -hmm. What What is snow mold? Snow mold is a disease. It's a big problem on golf courses. Uh, they put all kinds of fungicides down because it'll it'll wipe out the golf courses. But as a disease that comes in, it, uh, the water helps to move it around. It grows on the plants. I had a, a guy up in Canada grow a bunch of triticale, and he says triticale doesn't grow very well up here. Uh, he says it doesn't yield well. And I said, did you have snow mold? He says, I didn't see any. I said, did you look at it in March when the water first came off and the snow came off? He said, no. But he described what the plants looked like, and he had snow mold. And again, a technical term, uh, he had snow mold up the wazoo because he had so much stuff on there, the snow and then the water laying on it, 
and that variety happened to be very susceptible to snow mold. We we've been doing variety trials since 1999, and we have seen varieties come through that are very susceptible, and they are thrown out right away uh, in the breeding program. But there is a big varietal difference. Canadian varieties tend to be more susceptible than U.S. varieties. The U.S. varieties are tested for that and put under real stress. And the ones that don't make it are not in the gene pool. So the snow mold doesn't necessarily kill the plant in March. It just affects it later on in the production of, is that correct? It kills, if it kills all the vegetation, then it's dead. What we found is the earlier you plant it, usually the plants are big enough that the crowns are high enough out of the water they don't get all the snow mold on them, and so they often will survive. But if they're planted late and they're a little short plant and they're underwater, they're gone. Snow mold takes them out. Uh, I did a trial where we planted early with a high rate of nitrogen. We planted late with a high rate of nitrogen. We planted late with a low rate of nitrogen. All three had snow mold because that was the low spot of the field. But the early planted, more of that survivor survived than it did in the other two. If it survives, does it impact the, the feedability of the product? No, it doesn't. It just decreases the No, the, yeah, the, the plants, the, the, leaves, yeah, the leaves that are killed fall down on the ground, decay and are gone. The new shoots, as long as the, the, the tillers are fine, uh, the tillers will come up and take off and grow right past it. And it all stays on the ground and it's not moved into the feed. Brings up a point I just remembered, and this is critical because I have seen this happen. Do not spread manure on triticale on the top of the crop. You're going to mow triticale and manure, and I won't describe in this what it is, but you can kill cows with that. Do not do it. What we have done is use injectors like just for example, a bazooka injector, it's a coulter injector, lifts it up, puts the manure underneath and lays it back down again. It met all our nitrogen needs. We put the manure on in November and December. It meets all our nitrogen needs, there's no manure on it. You go out and farmers always want to do this. They go out and they spread their manure over the top of it. It gets mixed into it. You have highly digestible, high sugar forage with manure mixed in it. That will kill cows. Yeah, that sounds like a disaster. Uh, I'm glad we caught that in time, Tom, because that was a, a key point, I feel like. Uh, yeah, uh, I just remember that. <laughs> yes, yes. Is there anything else that, that we need to cover on this topic uh, as we kind of come to a, a close on our time here? Uh, I think we just hit the biggest one is the menorah. One of the things we like with, uh, we are now recommending, this is an talk on manure injection, but we are recommending people get them and don't wait because of the price of nitrogen. But we have come into Triticale. I'm trying to remember her name. Her first name is Heather. Uh, she works for Penn State. Her research and Mystery research both found if you're planting the Triticale in the fall after corn, do not wait to spread manure. Don't spread manure. Simply get the stuff in the ground you lose more yield waiting to spread the manure and then plant 
than you do just planting the crop. Get the crop in the ground, get it up and growing, and then we inject the manure anywhere between eight to 12 or 14,000 gallons into uh, the growing triticale in November, December, or January, depending on where you're, you are. Uh, and that meets all the fertilizer needs the next spring. We then harvest it off, come back and inject the manure in the stubble on 30 inch centers and plant our corn right over it. Now you have never left that soil bare by using the winter forage in the system and you just saved a whole lot of money on your fertilizer bill. Which is what farmers love to do, absolutely. Yes, and Tom, I feel like we've just kind of started to scratch the surface on this topic. So where can people go to learn more? What are good resources related to, to this winter forage concept? Uh, there are uh, several YouTube videos that I have on YouTube. If there's not one on my website, there will be. I'm working on moving everything to my website. But there's a number of them on YouTube. Just look up my name uh, on uh, YouTube. And there is a number of uh, short, they're very short, five minutes, seven minute videos there for people to look at. Or they can subscribe to my newsletter. I don't charge for it. I just write it for the fun of it. Uh, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies take it and send it out to their customers also. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you taking time and sharing some knowledge on The Dairy Show with our listeners. It's been a, a great time talking with you this afternoon. And, you know, hopefully we'll run into each other out at Expo sometime. Yes, hope so. Thank you. And a final word from our episode sponsor, TriCal Superior Forage. We could throw a bunch of big words and complex science at you, but we'll leave it at this. If you aren't planting TriCal Superior Forage triticale, you are missing out. Go to TriCalForage.com. That's T-R-I-C-A-L-F-O-R-A-G-E.com to learn why triticale is right for you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you.